This episode of the Disney Film Project podcast is brought to you by touringplans.com. It is the one-stop shop on the internet for figuring out how you are going to plan your Disney vacation, Disneyland or Disney World, it doesn't matter. Seven Dwarfs Mine Train, you want to figure out how to get there and not wait in line? This is how you do it, touringplans.com. Disneyland, you're trying to figure out how to get out there and how to navigate all the cool new stuff like Cars Land and Buena Vista Street and all that great stuff without having to wait in line? Touringplans.com. You can optimize your touring plans, check the crowd calendar, do all kinds of great stuff. Make sure you check that out over at touringplans.com. They're the sponsor of this week's episode of the Disney Film Project Podcast. Welcome again, everybody, to the Disney Film Project podcast. This is the show where we talk about the films of the Walt Disney Company. They could be animated, live action, Marvel, Pixar, Lucasfilm, Disney Toon Studios. It does not matter. We try to cover each and every film covered by the Walt Disney Company here and at DisneyFilmProject.com. I'm Ryan Kilpatrick, host of the program, and along with the folks you are about to meet, we run DisneyFilmProject.com, where you can find the show notes for this very show, you can find Blu-ray and DVD reviews, and you can find reviews of the old shorts from the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, all the way through, uh, as well as all kinds of great articles about Disney films, so make sure you go and check out all the content there at DisneyFilmProject.com. Joining me as always, we have our fine film experts. First of all, there is Mr. Todd Perlmutter, who, little known fact, I um, we actually started this podcast after I found him in the jungle uh, wearing a loincloth. Um, it's not something we like to dwell on or talk about a lot, but it, it's, it's sort of how this happened. Yes, I stole it from a loin. I mean, that you got to do what you got to do. It's the jungle, right? Yeah, well, I was cold. Fair enough. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm no judgments, man. Uh, and, of course, also joining us, Miss Rachel Kolb of JustPressPlay.net. How are you, Rachel? I am doing fantastic today. Um, I'm going to be getting to go away for a few days, get out of the city for a little bit, so it'll be nice. Very nice. Very, very nice. All right. And, of course, there is the person who keeps this train running on time, the person who uh, edits all of our ramblings into some semblance of coherence, and that is Miss Cheryl Perlmutter, who you can find at about.me slash CherylP3 or on Twitter at CherylP3. How are you, Cheryl? A little sore today, but doing good. I hear you there. We, uh, the wife and I rode bikes for 90 minutes yesterday, and I think we're both sore today. I think Todd's Linkoff may have been acquired from one of the extra animatronics in the, in the Great Movie Ride. Uh, so, with all the talk of loincloths, we are obviously speaking of 1999 animated film Tarzan by Walt Disney Feature Animation, the 37th animated film from Disney based on the Edgar Rice Burroughs stories. It is one of the last films of the quote-unquote Disney renaissance. Uh, huge moneymaker for, for Disney, um, not quite $500 million worldwide, but uh, almost $450 million in box office. It was a huge, big success, and quietly sort of an influential movie as you look towards the future uh, of Disney. You know, there's, there's all kinds of things in this film or uh, things that were developed for this film that affected a lot of uh, the future for Disney. So definitely, an, an, I, I, in my mind, an under, I don't know if you'd call it underrated, but a film that deserves a little more attention. 
Hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, everybody, the background of the people who worked on this is very diverse in terms of the movies, right, Jeff? Because you have people coming from Lion King and Hunchback and Newsies, right? Right. And then they went yeah. on to do the Atlantis films and the Brother Bear films. Uh, the producer was a producer for Toy Story originally. Uh, she's, she's now, as Bonnie Arnold, she now does How to Train Your Dragon trilogy. That's, mm-hmm. her, that's her world right now. Uh, Chris Buck directed this, and he uh, just did Frozen, so. Yes. Co- right. Co-directed with co-directed. Uh, Kevin Lima, who yes. would end up directing Enchanted. So, yes. yeah, lots of stuff that uh, that plays a good role in the in the future of Disney between those two directors. Yeah. Uh, not to mention the fact that um, one of the things that Glenn Keane, the uh, the lead animator on Tarzan, he was the one who the next film that he started working on after this was a hand-drawn version of Rapunzel, uh, which ended up becoming a computer animated version called Tangled. Yes. So... And and as as we noted in that film, because of the the connection to our history as the podcast is, uh, this was one of the Tangle was one of the films where we first referred to Wonky Lewis, and we referenced it coming from Tarzan with Glenn Keane because Glenn Keane all the all the stuff that his um, Tarzan does on the trees and the vines and everything is all patterned after Tony Hawk uh, skateboarding. Yes. Yep. Right. So, uh, and that's, and he carried that forward into uh, Tangled as well. And he, don't forget, he borrowed that from Lieutenant Crusoe USN. What? Of course. Vine swinging? No, the wonky sluice. Oh, the wonky sluice. Yes, yes. (laughs) Indeed. Indeed, indeed. Indeed. Yeah, it's just interesting if you look at all the talent involved in the film, like what, what's happened with them since then. Like even uh, Tony Goldwyn, who's the voice of Tarzan in this. Not a big name star or anything like that, but currently on Scandal on ABC, yes. which is one of their biggest shows. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> I was just yeah. gonna mention he's he can play the president of the United of the United States, a murderer in Ghost, and a wild man in Tarzan. I mean, he's got range. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> what I found most interesting when researching it is did did you know that this was originally conceived of as a live action film? For Disney? I had heard that, but I've never I've never heard much about it. Like I'd heard that that was the idea, but I'd never heard anything about it. Yes, I, I, I couldn't find anything like, you know, great or more than the paragraph here and there. But the idea was they abandoned the live action before even getting to the point of scripting just from the sketches because what they found is they liked the cartoon and whenever they tried the animated sorry. and whenever they tried to uh, dress somebody up live action in a loincloth and stuff, they just didn't feel it looked right. Right. So they just went, said, well, we're sketching it, and it looks good in sketches, so we're going to animate it. Well, well they, they know... said one of, one of the biggest problems they ran into was just, you know, finding an actor that could physically do what they needed for Tarzan to be able to move in that way and move naturally in that aspect, which I did a little bit of looking about the Broadway musical, which I don't know if you guys have heard much about it because it honestly wasn't all that successful for Disney, uh, for Disney theatrical. But um, if you see like the way that it plays out on stage, like some of the scenes they're doing almost word for word from the movie and they're trying to recreate kind of the way that Tarzan moves and interacts with the world. And it does not look right. Like with real actors, it looks strange and not natural. (laughs) 
Oh, okay. Yeah, and I yeah, what that only was in like the the Broadway type theaters, well, like stage theater, I mean. Yeah. It for like what, like 4 or 5 months before it ever got pulled, right? Well, I mean, it according to the, what I read, it ran for 35 preview performances and then 486 performances after that and it closed because ticket sales just weren't very good for it. Yeah. I mean, uh, though, if you go to the website where you can rent uh, Disney's properties, their stage properties to do on like high school plays and stuff like that, it is available. Yeah. Strangely enough, the, the clip that I watched from the show, um, they there was a little bit of speaking, a little bit of dialogue going on. And Clayton is weirdly Southern, even though Jane is still British. Like he has this weird sort of Southern accent going on, which I don't really know what they were thinking with that. But um yeah, <laughs> that, that is kind of weird. I mean, now in the books, Jane is Jane and her father are American, right? I'm not sure if you're familiar with the books or not. Right. Yeah. I'm not hugely familiar, but okay. I I did a little bit of reading, but not much. Right, but but Clayton is uh, his. The books. He's John Clayton, right? That's Tarzan's real name. Yep. Okay. And his cousin is William Clayton, who's the current Lord of Greystoke, and that's where that all comes from, right? I don't want to get that much into it. But Clayton, it's he's supposed to be the cousin character, but doesn't realize that they just use the name to get all the characters to align the characters in the book for people who had who had the familiarity with it already. Right. Well, I remember reading articles at the time going back as you know like you guys said when looking through the you know the web research for this of the Burroughs estate and the, and the family saying like that this was the best adaptation ever done because because of the things you guys are saying like that a real person it's hard for them to actually move in the way this, that Tarzan moved and that this was the closest that they had felt um, that somebody had gotten to incorporating the actions of the gorillas and how Tarzan was supposed to act and behave um, yeah. that really could only have been done in, in animation. Now, in, in the book, you know, he's not raised by gorillas, right? This, this was the... Yeah, no, this was the first movie to, um, to actually use gorillas. They were just... He, uh, Burroughs made up a species of apes that had their own language and referred to them as cells as the Mangani. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, gorillas were a new concept because in the book there's only one gorilla and it's a bad gorilla that nobody likes. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so I can, I, I'm guessing I can tell you some of where... I mean, obviously that would, that's a, like a trope in, in some of the Tarzan films... Um, you know, with the Johnny Weissmuller films and things like that, that uh, that w- are familiar for people who who look through Tarzan and pulps and those sorts of things. But the writer of this, the person who wrote this, uh, Tab Murphy, who who worked at Disney for quite some time, uh, he wrote the screenplay for Hunchback uh, and and for this, and then went on to do Atlantis and Brother. The first film that he actually worked on was Gorillas in the Mist, if you remember that film with uh, Sigourney Weaver playing Jane Goodall. Yep. And got an Academy Award nomination for it, and then it went over to Disney. Um, the, poor, the poor guy, Brother Bear, was his last major motion picture. He's pretty much been doing direct-to-video animated films or, or TV shows since then. Um, I think the, the box office of Atlantis and Brother Bear put put a little bit of a uh, a damper on his career prospects, it seems. Hmm. 
But I have to say, between Hunchback, Tarzan, Brother Bear, and even Atlantis to a, to a degree, I, I think his scripts are pretty good. Yeah, I'm, I like all three. Um, I thought we would talk for a sec about the whole deep canvas thing, since that's probably the biggest of the for Disney sure. legacies to come out of uh, the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so deep canvas is this concept which was first appeared a little bit in Aladdin, but it hadn't really been developed until Tarzan, uh, putting 2D animations on top of a 3D background. Because in Aladdin, they still didn't look like they quite sat right on the background and this was the first one to truly come up with a way to marry it and this film this process went on and it was used in atlantis and it was used in treasure planet extensively in treasure planet as we discussed in that episode Mm -hmm. um the funny thing about the background of it is it's usually it's credited to eric daniels and his team for developing it right and they're the ones that won the awards for it over the years including I think the last award they won for it was in 2003 was when they won the Academy Award for it. Okay. Right. Um, but did you know that the idea originally was John Lasseter's and it's one of the reasons why he left to go do Pixar was that Disney was not interested in it at the time? Doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Yeah, there's actually a really good video on YouTube that demonstrates how Deep Canvas was used in Tarzan, um, actually showing them taking it from the just the geometric shapes uh, for the trees and the vines and showing how an animator goes through and actually paints on them and then incorporates the character into it. I'll, I'll send over the link so we can have it in the show notes, but it's really excellent as far as showing how the technology works. Cool. Cool. Well, and we talked a little bit about um, way back when we did our Bambi episode about the whole idea of, of backgrounds and how in that as well some, some of the future stuff like like Lilo and Stitch did, backgrounds that are supposed to be representative of the of the object without actually putting the defined lines around them in, in the highly defined backgrounds. Um, and, and that's sort of what Deep Canvas gets to is that it's designed to do more brush strokes as opposed to that tighter, you know, very line-drawn background. Kind of the, the tighter style would be something like you'd see in Sleeping Beauty or maybe Cinderella. Um, and the, the deep canvas style is kind of a mixture of a 3D version of what you see in, like, Bambi or Lilo and Stitch. Um, it's really impressive when you, when you look at the backdrops in this. Um, and watching this, again, made me just crave another 2d animated film it's really fun to watch oh it's gorgeous i mean like the the hand-drawn animation is hard to it it, you can't get that same warmth and depth from from the computer animated backgrounds and and maybe that's just me but that's to me like there's so much vibrancy and 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 warmth, like I said, from the 2D animation. That yeah. Also, colors look different, like especially yeah. greens. I always find that that's probably one of the wins for this movie. It's just green looks so much better in a two in a hand drawn animation than in a in a computer movie like a Pixar film. Right. Yeah, 
1999 was actually a pretty good year for uh, for 2D animation. I mean, that's the year that you had Iron Giant, uh, Prince of Egypt, and Tarzan were all nominated for uh, for Annie Awards. And I mean, the other ones that were up for Best uh, Feature were South Park, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut, and Bugs Life. So I'm not really I'm not really including them in the same category. But um, <laughs> but Iron Giant and Prince of Egypt both excellent excellent 2D films. Um, yeah. So and it's yeah, well, it's kind of too bad that it came out against these ones because, I mean, Iron Giant, while it didn't do very well at the box office, kind of dominated the animation awards for that year. It did, yeah, and deservedly so. It's a fantastic movie. Yeah, and since we're talking about box office and stuff, we should mention that this one of the reasons we're covering this is it's coming out on the Blu-ray. It is. Indeed. Yeah, it's coming out in a few months on Blu-ray. People were worried that it's going to come out with Tarzan and Jane. I've, I have not seen that. I don't think it's going to. Um, I've, I've only seen, you know, I've not seen the actual final copy. I've only seen the, you know, the pictures of the Blu-rays. But um, I think it's worth, I think it's a good, I think it's great that it's finally getting a, the Blu-ray treatment. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Well, we talked, you know, we've we've talked about a lot of movies that are getting Blu-ray treatment uh, that that we might not have recommended, but uh, but this is one I think um, is is very the just the fact of the deep canvas stuff we were talking about I think is going to look great in high def. Oh yeah, yeah, and also Tarzan is such like as as far as a film, it's such fantastic visual storytelling so getting to see that on blu-ray is just it's going to remind people why this is such a good movie yeah yeah that's that's a really good point because it is they they rely so much on visuals there's just there's a economy to the dialogue in this that i think is hard to find in other disney films uh one thing i thought was really interesting about this film is usually even a movie like this that's in a particular time period Disney is very careful not to lock it to a particular date or anything like that. Right. But if you watch really closely when she's uh, drawing her picture of Tarzan on her sketch pad, okay, it actually puts Mm -hmm. the date Saturday, August 17th on it. Okay, it's actually written on the the picture. So if it's the Victorian era... Like it's suppo- like they say it is because they talk about going to see Queen Victoria, so it has to be the Victorian era, which ended in 1901. Okay, the most likely years for this to be taking place are either 1889 or 1895. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. Right, because those are the only two years in that in the right time frame for this. You know, based on the technology that they show and stuff like that, that uh, have Saturday, August 17th in them. So that is some deep cut research right there, people. You're not going to get that kind of stuff on other podcasts. Uh, so let, let's talk about the plot, because what I actually enjoy about this is that it takes the traditional three act structure of a film and actually kind of makes three miniature films in, in, in the three act structure um, in that the first act of the film is about, Tarzan becoming part of the the gorilla troop. The second act of the film is Tarzan being presented with the choice between 
the humans and his gorilla family. And the third part of the film, the third act, is pretty much the the conflict of two worlds. The second act doesn't, it sets up that conflict and the third act sort of pays it off, which I thought it was a nice, uh, they, they spend a lot more time, I think, than any other Tarzan adaptation I've seen, setting Tarzan up as part of the gorilla family in the first act film. And doing so almost without dialogue, but with very little dialogue. I mean, the whole opening of the movie is a montage to a Phil Collins song for about, what, five and a half minutes? Yeah. Yeah, t- yeah two yeah, worlds goes on for a while. It's almost as like, as as far as how much plot it covers and how much development it covers, it's it's almost like the opening of Up. I mean, <laughs> you, get, right. you get Tarzan's parents getting stranded, building a home for themselves, protecting their kid, and meanwhile you have that parallel with Kerchak and Kala and their child, and then uh, with Tarzan's folks getting killed and with Kerchak and Kala's child being killed. And right. all this is done with... I don't think there's any dialogue in this entire sequence. Yeah, I don't. No, I, think I think the right. first spoken word is when she comes back with baby Tarzan to the to Kerchak when Kala makes it all the way back. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and I think even at that point, like for me, as as someone who's seen things like the first ten minutes of Wally now. I, I wonder if there was not a point where they did not have the gorillas and Tarzan speaking to each other in in dialogue because I almost feel like it could have worked. Yeah, for a if movie they had not had dialogue. For a movie, it could have worked. I mean, I could see where like diehard Tarzan fans might be upset just because the dialogue is an important part of the book, but it's a book, right? And there is a big yeah. difference between a book and a movie, and. When you write something in a book, it works really well in a book, and it doesn't necessarily work well on screen in a movie in the shortened form. So it's hard to well, say. Well, for me, for me, like like the first part of this is so captivating as far as the way the animation plays and in tune in time with the music. Which, unlike many, and I think I said this on Twitter the other day, I actually enjoy the Phil Collins songs. I just don't care for Phil Collins. That's what my wife always says. She says, I actually like the songs from Tarzan when they do them in the parks because Phil Collins isn't singing them. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. I mean, you're right, though. That is, that's a really good point is, is the five Phil Collins songs in here. Most people are really familiar with them, but they get, a, they get beat up a lot because, like you said, it's Phil Collins. So, and at the time, he was kind of sort of considered like an industry sellout, right? By 1999. Oh, yeah. So, well, I think a lot of people. I think a lot of people bash it as sort of trying to chase that, that craze that happened when Elton John did The Lion King. Which, I mean, let's be frank, that's exactly what they were doing. And we talked about what they when they tried to do the same thing with Sting and The Emperor's New Groove. And right? Brown Bear. Yeah, good point. Yeah, they were they were trying to do that. They were trying to find where's the aging rock star that we can take advantage of and you know squeeze a few hit songs out of. I mean that's it's what they were trying to do, um, and I think this is probably the most successful of those after the Lion King. Uh, uh, but to your point, people saw it as they're knocking off the Lion King. Phil Collins is sort of a sellout. I think the the, the way it turned out to me at least, uh, I thought was was very good. 
Yeah, I really enjoy the instrumentation that's put together for these songs. I think it matches the tone of the movie very, very well, especially with the scenes of him, uh, you know, swinging through the jungle and everything. It's just got the right feel to it. And to give Phil Collins credit, he did sing the music tracks in almost every language that they uh, translated this movie into. I don't know if you saw this, but there's a video of him actually singing the tracks in French, Spanish, Italian, and German. All at once. <laughs> well, basically, it's kind of it's almost like that. Uh, the uh, video of "Let It Go," where they are, you know, fading from each language to each language, but All it's right. always Phil Collins singing in the different languages. That's so you're cool. actually seeing him in the studio singing these songs in uh, Spanish and French and Italian. Wow. Which he said That's he'd never crazy. done anything like that before. So it was, he said, this was kind of a stretch for me to, to learn how to do that. But I wanted to, you know, to be able to do all the dubs. I'm sure Disney appreciated it. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we, we talked through the, the, the first, the opening montage of the film. There's, a, there's actually a lot of montages in this. I, didn't, I hadn't watched it in a couple of years. And I, I, you know, there's a few others that come along later. Um but sometimes a montage can be a storytelling crutch. I felt like in these, because there's so much time to cover, it actually works very well with songs. But we'll talk about some of those a little later. Well, each uh, of the songs is, except for the one, the Trash in the Camp song, each, each of them is a montage, right? That's right. They each carry right. each of the montages. So. Yeah, and that was a different approach for Disney, as they, right? because they've been making all these you know, Broadway-style films with, you know, The Lion King, with Little Mermaid, with Beauty and the Beast, um, even, you know, Pocahontas, Hunchback. These were all Broadway-style, musical-style films. And this is going back to a more, I don't know if you'd call it cinematic, but, you know, there's music, but the music is, it's not a musical. Yeah, and the, characters was, aren't, the characters aren't necessarily hearing the music because they're not the ones singing it, right. which is what happens in a lot of other movies that they do, so. Well, it, and again, going back to what we were saying at the beginning, like that's the style that Disney stuck with for what fifteen years until Frozen came out. Well, they tried to make Home on the Range be a musical show tune thing, kind of, kind of failed. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't think even Disney acknowledges that that film exists anymore. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they do. I hear cows in the park tomorrow. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so as we said, that uh, you know, Kala manages to save Tarzan, bring him back uh, to her mate Kerchak, who's voiced by Lance Henriksen of uh, of Millennium fame or infamy, depending on your opinion on that yeah. show. Um, Did you know he's also an Avengers reference? No, no, no! Please enlighten me. Yes. So not the current uh, Avengers animated series, but the one before that, the one that started in, like 2010 and ran through 2012, I think. Earth's Mightiest Heroes. Yes, he he voiced the Grim Reaper, in like the eight episodes oh. that the Grim Reaper appeared in. Oh wow! Yes, also uh, he played uh, the bad guy in Tesla in the Tron Uprising animated series. Oh, interesting. Yes, he's also a Transformer Lockdown for Transformer fans. No, it's not a Disney thing, but I figured I would mention it. And Bishop and Aliens. Very cool. Yeah. Did you know so, they actually wrote the part for him, though? 
No, that I did not know. Yes, they they intentionally, when they imagined Kerchak talking, they thought of a person who could carry a very easy to understand, you know, word structure, but have it at the same time have a gruff undertone to it. And they immediately sought him out because that's one of the things that he is known for. Well, he's great in this movie. I mean, he is just fantastic. I mean, the dynamic that they do in this film between Tarzan and Kerchak um, is, I think that's what they wanted to do in Dinosaur, like when we were talking about that and the whole notion of, you know, the the younger member of a tribe, uh, you know, challenging the leader. Um, that's what they wanted to do in ty- Dinosaur, but they really didn't nail it, but they get it here. Yeah. Well, you know, there's more tension between Tarzan and Kerchak in the book, right? Because it, in well, the, didn't Kerchak killed uh, his parents, right? Uh, or am I getting his, that wrong? Only his father. His mother okay. died of illness, mm-hmm. and then it was just him and his father. And Kerchak killed the father. To be fair, the father pulled a gun on him. So, yeah, <laughs> that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, there is instant tension between Tarzan and Kerchak, and I thought this could be such a one-note thing, you know what I mean, as far as the tension between the two of them, like, he's human, I don't like him, therefore, you know, that that sort of a thing. But the way that Kerchak is phrasing it, it's not doesn't like Tarzan, it's that he's afraid that having a human in the camp is going to endanger the, the camp. I was... And I thought this the first time I saw it 15 years ago was a, a nice way to set up that tension, but not make it so cliche. Because you can, I mean, you can make the he's the outsider cliche thing very easily. And I, I thought it was interesting they didn't do it that way. It was it's not that I, I have nothing against this kid, but it, having him here can make us unsafe. It wasn't just that though. The one of the things that I like carries really well in the movie is that they never actually come out and say if Kerchak has encountered humans or not before. It's just yeah. heavily, heavily played that way. Yeah. And none of the other apes may have even seen humans. It may only have been him because he may have only been the one who was old enough to have seen them or something like that. Right. Yeah, and I think uh, like that's, why, that's where, for me, like the movie is working the best is when he's interacting with Kerchak and Kala – and uh, Tar- and Jane and and her and the and the crew around her Clayton and her father and those sorts of things where I where I feel like Disney sort of stepped in and tried to make it more palatable is kind of that next sequence of him as a kid interacting with Turk and Tantor. If I didn't yep. have any Turk or Tantor in the movie, it would be an all time classic for me. But I those two just great up and down my last nerve. Yeah, well, they were really trying to recreate the Timon and Pumbaa-type characters from, from Lion King, and they were really... It felt like they were trying to make uh, a Rosie O'Donnell's character that they were trying to get her to sort of channel some Nathan Lane in her performance, which doesn't really work for her. Um, right. And I actually, I actually enjoy Rosie O'Donnell to a certain extent, so I, I enjoy her doing her. I don't necessarily like her being pushed to do something that I don't think is really her. So She wanted the role, though. Well, she wanted to be in a Disney movie, and who doesn't want to be in a Disney movie? I think part of the problem was, I'm going to say the word, merchandising. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, I agree. Because mm-hmm. if you look at stores like Theme Park Connection, they have plenty of um, tem- timbers there. The elephant character. Tantors. Tantors. Yeah. They, have, they have plenty. They're not they're not short on, on them. So I, I, I definitely think that's part of the aspect is they thought, oh, hey, here we can have also these characters to sell as a, like a playset type of thing. The trashing yeah. the camp playset. Yeah, I think I think you're spot on there, Cheryl. Because I mean, basically, what happens in this in this particular sequence is Tarzan is hanging out with Turk, the Rosie O'Donnell character, the female gorilla, and then is challenged basically to get rid of him to go get a hair from uh, an elephant's tail. Uh, and so he dives into the elephant waiting pool, causes a big commotion, a stampede, all that sort of thing. And he meets Tantor, who's voiced by Wayne Knight, probably best known as Newman from Seinfeld. Yeah. Who's not dead. Also, also, <laughs> an, Avenger, also an Avengers reference, kind of. Okay. <laughs> don't, you, don't you love this? Uh, in, in Superhero Squad, he voiced Egghead. There you go. Yes. He does a lot of voice work, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he was Alan Toy Story too. Yeah, and right? he's much better at it than Rosie O'Donnell, in my opinion. What it being an elephant, or any kind of voice work. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, my 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 thoughts on Rosie O'Donnell is I like her best when she does the talk show thing. I I, yeah. I actually enjoy watching her interview people, but yeah, I'm I I don't think that voice work is really her thing. Well, I'm yeah. not gonna dismay anyone who does voice work because um. A lot, I'm not, I'm not saying this for for me. I'm a, I'm I watched James Earl Taylor do his do his um his commercial. I'll call it at the at Stars of the Saga, and he has such a range. I know it's a different character, but I mean it's still a different person. But they're still going out there, putting themselves out, and doing something that I don't think. Most of most celebrities would even dare to touch. Yeah, but I I don't think I think the point that they're trying to make is that um, Rosie O'Donnell doesn't um, doesn't really That's do much other than butter. right. It's, it's she's just doing her own voice on this character. Right, she's right. not doing yeah. a special voice. So that's... I must I'm not saying, but I'm saying that at least she went out there and said yes. It's true. I mean, yeah. I mean it's, it's a big. I'm not saying we we shouldn't knock anyone who's tried voice acting, whether whether they've failed or they've been successful. At least they've done it. There are a lot of people, a lot of actors and actresses out there that haven't even bothered to do a voice that I would love to hear a voice of. Yeah, but I, I don't think you can say we can't knock a person's performance. That's just like saying we can't knock a person's acting performance. I'm saying you can knock their performance, but you, should, but you should also give them a credit for even attempting to say yes. Well, yeah, okay, that's fair enough. I'm, I'm just I'm saying not- I, don't, I don't think her performance in this film is very good. I think, honestly, honestly I think it's a combination of she's not – She's not a voice actor, as in she hadn't really done it before this. It it isn't you know her straightforward career. Her her career was doing you know her talk show and doing some acting and stuff. Um, I think it's a combination of that and that the character isn't really necessary to the plot. I think that's the biggest problem is because there's no there's no thing for her to play in the in the role. I mean the the term 
work is not here that's needed at all. Exactly what you're saying. Like there, she's just not. The story would not change if Turk's not in the movie. Except for the manufactured reason to have them in at the very, very end to free Tarzan and everyone. But I mean, like, th- there there were ways to get around that that didn't involve Turk and Tantor. But yeah, they could have done, still done the storyline of him trying to fit in, you know, with other uh, gorillas and other animals. That I guess are his age and stuff. But this, it doesn't quite match the tone of the rest of the movie. It's just very, very silly. Yeah, I think that's it. I think that's probably exactly it, Rachel. Like, it doesn't match the tone of the rest of the film, which is, which is still funny. I mean, the rest of the film can still be funny, and there's still good moments in it. Um, but it ha- it does have a more serious, more I-, I don't know if you call it philosophical, like just him trying to choose between the two worlds tone, uh, and then you have this insane trashing the camp sequence in the middle of the film, which I know we're skipping around a bit, but. Like, this crazy comedic sequence in the middle of the movie that doesn't really accomplish anything. I think it does... I I think it does accomplish something. Um, it, it, but I agree, I would like to see a different scene. I, I think what they were trying to do is, if you really look at the plot of the movie as a whole, right, it's a very heavy, weighty emotional thought-provoking piece right right yeah and so really the whole point of that um one scene with the trash in the camp is just to give eye candy for kids right it's it's just to break the monotony of the heavy of the heaviness yeah well and, and i can see that i i wonder if that if part of that's not a reaction to hunchback which like we talked about when we did that movie there isn't a break in that one you want to talk about a weighty, you know, deep, wading into dark waters film. You know, you had the gargoyles, but for the most, but they get kind of shoved off to the side as quickly as possible. And it's, it's it a dark, brooding sort of film. So I wonder if that's, you know, if this is sort of a reaction to that, because that would have been three years earlier. I think also the Trash in the Camp song was an excuse so they could get, give NSYNC a song on the, uh, the uh, soundtrack. I can believe that too. Sadly, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, we skipped around a bit. But the the, ne- the next big thing that happens in the film is uh, is Tarzan growing up. Um, there's the, the the whole like, another montage um, to another Phil Collins song, uh, and they get to the point where he's grown up, and the big confrontation is between Tarzan and Sabor, the the cat that killed his. The, the leopardess who killed his parents, um, and which is a great fight scene. Uh, as far as animated fight scenes go, we don't get a ton of them, but that one is, I think all the fight scenes, quite honestly, in this are really well choreographed and really well staged and using the deep canvas to their effect and using the jungle as almost a character in the scene. Right, because what I find most amazing is that I net name one other animated film where somebody is like hiding behind something and only partially masked like that and it looks like there's really the object the person's really inside the object and not just behind something yeah like they're actually in the depths of something and you can kind of peek through and see them yeah i know exactly what you're saying yeah i i also like um this is a really great use of the concept of you know they're in a jungle right a jungle if you 
read all your, you know, resources about it. You know, the whole three-tiered canopy concept, you know, the root bases and the growth and the, and the protection, you know, that whole setup. They really use that because it's not just a movie that's going left to right. It's a movie that goes up and down a lot. Yeah. Right? And this battle is, is that, right? Because they start very high up, right? Then they go higher. Then they fall all the way to the bottom. <laughs> right. No, it's it's a fantastic use of the technology and the visual storytelling, which I think is is really great. Yeah, and it's really scary. Like it is it's a very frightening sequence. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, this movie has a lot of real tension moments that a lot of other animated films tend not to have. Yeah, and a small detail from that scene that I enjoy is the fact that the gorillas actually kind of behave like gorillas in that scene. They get out of the way, and they just kind of beat their chests and yell. <laughs> yeah. Um, once again, playing up the fact that these are these are animals, and they this is probably how they would behave in that situation. Yeah, I think that for me is, is one of the things. That's why I was saying earlier about the dialogue among the gorillas is like, the gorillas in this behave so much like gorillas. You know, the Kerchak and Kala gorillas, not Turk and, and friends, but Kerchak and Kala and the other gorillas, especially at the end. I mean, the looks on their faces, the 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 way that they move, the physicality of them. It's They did such a good job of convincing me that these were real gorillas that when they start talking in a human voice, it's almost like, what? It, it, it takes me out of the movie a little bit. Oh, yeah, I suppose. I mean, but the point is, is it's very much like any other movie where you have another language, right? Is they're, when they're amongst themselves, you hear English, but really they're not really hearing English. They do try and make that point a lot. They do, yeah. In the yes. film. Yeah, many, many times. You're right. Uh, so, yeah, the, the Sabor fight kind of ends the first act of the film, which is, you know, Tarzan getting established with his with his troop, his guerrilla troop. And then the second act begins when he hears the gunshots from Clayton uh, and goes to investigate and ends up running into Jane, who has gotten into uh, quite the pickle with a bunch of baboons. <laughs> and, and Tarzan manages to save her from the baboons. Uh, which is, again, like a, a fantastic use of what you were talking about, Todd, with the up and down and the deep canvas and sliding along the different uh, branches and things. I mean, it's it's very unrealistic and realistic at the same time, like realistic in the use of how the jungle flows. But obviously, I don't think you're going to have three and a half mile long stretches of, of pipeline in the jungle. <laughs> that That first save he does for her is amazing, right? Because... She's running, and you see the horde of baboons, and he comes swinging just above the baboons. Yeah. Right? And then the way he grabs her, and she thinks she's going to fall, and she just keeps going straight. It's, it's really a gorgeous scene to watch. You know, it's one of those scenes where, you, if you had I not seen it before, I might have sat and like hit 30-second you know, rewind several times. Yeah. It's um, the whole – any time that Tarzan is swinging or moving or all that kind of stuff, I mean, this that's where I feel like the movie soars. You know what I mean? Like it goes above 
just the normal 2D animated film. Um, and I think I think that's one of the things is like it really tries to reach and stretch what the what the medium could do, which I really appreciate. Uh, but of course, when he meets Jane, he realizes that the two of them are humans. Um, he figured, well, he doesn't know what the word means, but he knows that you know she's like him. And it's when, you know, the next day when he shows up in the camp uh, to try to find her and gets introduced to her father and to Clayton that we start getting the the next set of conflict, which is, you know, Kerchak telling him don't interact with the humans and him, of course, wanting to figure out more about the strangers like me in the terms of the Phil Collins song. Well, he's not actually saying do not interact. He's saying don't bring them back here. No, he says we are not to have any contact with them. He he does say that he's he because Tarzan is part of the clan, the family, right? You know, whatever family will work with. They keep saying that in the movie, and Kerchak specifically says we should move away from the humans. We are not you're not to go near the humans. You know, so Tarzan disobeys. That's a yeah. fundamental in the movie. Yeah, because Kala and, and his friends know that he's sneaking off, but they're just kind of not telling Kerchak. Really, you don't want to upset Kerchak. Like, you know, like I was joking in my notes, I mean, there's a lot of Kerchak is not amused moments in this. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. But, yeah. I wanted to say that um, Jane is uh, played by Minnie Driver, who's just been in a f- number of fantastic movies. I she think that's a, that's a good way to say it. And her father, Professor Porter, is was a uh, Played by Nigel Horthon, who uh, was Flitter Flam in uh, The Black Cauldron. Oh, cool. And I have notes on Brian Blessed. <laughs> you do? I Let's do. Let's hear if you got everything. Okay, he is a Doctor Who and a Broadway connection and a Star Wars connection. Yes. All in one. All in one wonderful actor. Um, he was in the Doctor Who serial Mind Warp in 19... 19- 86. Um, he was in the original West End production of Cats, playing Old Deuteronomy, and he was the voice of Boss Nass in Episode 1, The Phantom Menace. And he, there was even a Facebook campaign to get his voice on TomTom, um, which Richard Gardner, who started the campaign, said that TomTom should be directing the drivers with quote, gleeful beardiness. <laughs> <laughs> That's Which anyone awesome. who's seen Brian Blessed, he is he is gleeful beardiness. Yeah, well, if we want to discuss his gleeful beardiness, we just have to discuss Prince Voltan from uh, Flash Gordon. Yes. Just, which is probably the Do you know what else he did in this movie besides uh, play Clayton? No. He uh, provided think... he provided the yells for Tarzan. Oh, I oh, did I not know that. know that. Yes. By the way, because we haven't mentioned it either, and because she's like the only one left to mention, um, I figured we should mention that Kala is played by Glenn Close. Yes. Who is also going to be an Avengers connection. That's right. August 1st, (laughs) Guardians of the Galaxy. That's right. She's Nova Prime Rail. Who, by the way, she's playing a Regellian, and I just want to say she doesn't look anything like Regellians doing comic books, and that's all I'll say. But it's Glenn Close, and Glenn Close can do whatever she wants. (laughs) Fair enough. <laughs> we also have um, Jim Cummings. He's not. Um, he's not given a particular voice in this in this movie, but um, he's also been an Avengers and a Star Wars connection, and was at apparently does really good voices. 
because we were hearing people talk about how he was la- last year and how he was awesome. So. Oh, at the at Star Wars weekend. <laughs> yes. So, yes. So yeah, that that the that whole interaction, like you were saying, Todd, where um, he comes to the camp and starts his friends start looking for him, um, trying to figure out what is you know what's happening. Um, what do they need to do to to find out what's going on with Tarzan? That leads to um, what we talked about, which is the the trashing the camp sequence. Yes, I I, I refer to that as the musical stylings of Foley artists. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's my least favorite part of the whole film, as you could probably uh, yeah probably guess. There, there's one thing that distresses me about this scene: they're ripping up the books. Yeah. They're, they're ripping pages out of books. This is not okay. <laughs> <laughs> they brought quite a lot of stuff to go on this little adventure, didn't they? They did, yeah. I, I, I feel like they were like not going on a small trip. They were. It feels like they were trying to go on a, uh, a, a long voyage. Well, they were on a long voyage, right? Here, here's how you know. Which direction does the professor say they have to travel into the jungle? Anyone? I don't, rem- I don't remember. He, he says they have to go west, which means they're on the east coast of Africa, not the west coast of Africa. So that means they had to, back then, they would have had to go around the southern tip of Africa to get there. So it was a long voyage. Ah, fair enough. But I don't know. know why if they were going to be picked up in five days or whatever it was, they had all that stuff with them. <laughs> <laughs> you could bring a knapsack for that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's very true. And then you know, kind of, it, it sort of segues straight from trashing the camp to to strangers like me, um, where we have the montage of Tarzan learning what's going on with Jane and uh, what the human world is like, and then kind of the back and forth between he and the gorillas. I felt like, again, there's the montages have to carry a lot of story in this film. And I feel like this one, especially um, the, the, the opening one and this one are really, really strong. This is one of those moments where I think it's handled super, 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 uh, you know, well, I should have said it's much, much better uh, <laughs> <laughs> compared to the book. Because in the, in the book, right, to learn English, Tarzan just kind of reads some kids' books and suddenly knows English for the entire rest of the book perfectly. Right. Okay. Here, the learning feels like learning, despite that it's going by quickly by song. Like, you legitimately see him being interested in and interacting and doing things, Right. Also, by the way, I, I love the fact that they... It's not a slide projector for people who have seen this. This is actually referred to as a magic lantern. Right. Right. So this is... It's, it's very nice. And they have a telescope. And they have some really nice technology aligned with the time. So... Why did they have a bike with them? Wait. That's a really good thing, though. <laughs> Again, back to the five days in the woods thing. Who brings a bike to a jungle? Who brings a tea set of Mrs. Potts and Chip? That's true. <laughs> well, they are English. They have to have tea. Tea, yes. There is that. Yeah, yeah they, Eric's they comment during that scene, Eric's comment was that uh, um, Rumpelstiltskin is going to be very angry that they took his tea set. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's very true. 
but yeah, and that sort of ends the the second act of the film, uh, and and we quickly set up the 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 last act, which is the 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 conflict is basically that Jane is going to leave because this whole time Clayton has been asking Tarzan to lead him to the gorillas. Uh, and Tarzan refuses because he's afraid that the you know that this will endanger them. That just as Kerchak has said, but the thing that triggers him to actually give in is the fact that he's started to fall in love with Jane. And so he, as Jane is packing up to leave, Clayton slips in that you know, hey, if you lead us to the gorillas, or he sort of plants it in 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 the head of of Tarzan. If you lead us to the gorillas, then maybe Jane will stay. And so he agrees to do so and actually takes them into the jungle, first meeting Kala, which actually goes okay with with Jane. Uh, and it's not until they see all the gorillas that Clayton reveals who he really is, which is he's a bad guy. Did you really think Clayton wasn't a bad guy? I mean, I remember back to the first time I saw this, and I it was clear to me the whole movie that Clayton's a bad guy. I wasn't sure if he was crazy or a bad guy, because, you know. No, he's not crazy. To go back to Hunchback for his last minute, Froyo is crazy. Clayton is very clear as to his motivation. He's just evil. He literally has a mustache that I'm pretty sure is twirled already, so he's probably twirling it when they're not looking (laughs) And, but he has no top hat to go with it. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I to your point, Todd, yes, I didn't know he was a bad guy. But it is, I mean, he doesn't reveal it in the movie per se. You know, it's not like he's twirling his mustache the whole time. Although, actually, he might, well, now that I think of it. I, I, think, I guess it's not so much to say that he's an evil bad guy. He's an opportunist. Yeah, yep. that's a good way to put mm-hmm. it. He's looking to make a buck, right? Does he say like 300 pounds a gorilla or something like that? That was right. a ton of money back then. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he, he reveals himself. You know, Tarzan's actually getting ready to leave with uh, Jane and with with the professor. And when they get on the boat, that's when Clayton reveals himself and has apparently commandeered a pirate crew from the Black Pearl out of nowhere. Well, before he does that, though, uh, there is a moment where Kala finally reveals his past to him. Uh, that's right. That's right. Before he's getting ready to leave. Yeah. She takes him to the treehouse and shows him where he came from. It's a very good point. Because it's, it's a good way to set up that conflict, you know, where he's conflicted about leaving. Yes, and putting on his father's, like, 16-year-old suit. Okay, that's that that's that shot makes me cry. Like that's that scene just in general makes me very emotional. But especially when he walks out wearing his father his father's suit, <laughs> and I, just the look on Kala's face when she realizes what he's chosen. Yeah, yeah. Well, their relationship is really, you know, in in a lot of Disney films, there's just a lot of very simple relationships. Theirs is a very complex and very true emotionally relationship yes so it, it makes this moment more poignant yeah i agree well use an sat word no you're, you're absolutely right it, it, it it's it's such a great relationship between the two of them um you know that it it feels it, it feels true i think you're right that's the best word to set to use 
but yeah, they, they um, the pirate crew shows up out of nowhere, sabotages um, Tarzan, Jane, and the, the professor, the, uh, her father, throw them in the in the brig of the ship, and then Clayton goes off to the shore um, to to rest to relieve the gorillas and and put them in cages and bring them back. Um, and again, like we've been through all this stuff we were just talking about, the strangers like me, the the going and putting on his father's suit and all this emotional stuff. And what we get at that point is Turk and Tantor again. And, like, I, I understood it earlier, you know, in the early part of the film and, and the trashing the camp, like you said, Todd, but, like, this is the one that really bugs me because I, it, it serves a story purpose, so that's that's at least positive because mm-hmm. they're the ones who break him out of the thing. But it's so dissonant with everything that comes before and everything that comes right after. Well, this was a rewrite. Everything from this point on, because the original ending had the of the movie had the battle be on the ship. But the reason why they decided to break him out of the ship and have him go back to the jungle was because they realized that Tarzan's thing is moving around the jungle, and if you take Tarzan out of the jungle, he's just kind of sort of there on the ship, right? Because they show his 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 inherent weaknesses of being on a ship he can't climb the steam stack you know all those sorts of things so they had to get him back to the jungle and this they just literally may have written this as just the, a throwaway bit just to get him out and back into the jungle yeah which which makes sense it's just like i said my problem is it's so different in tone from what happens before, and even the battle that happens in the jungle, um, that which is the next piece, the battle in the jungle between Clayton and Tarzan and Kerchak and the other apes, with the exception of, you know, a few little side jokes here and there, is deadly serious. Yeah. yeah. I think, Ryan, what you were wanting, which was what I was kind of wanting, too, was almost like a Planet of the Apes type scene on the ship. Like, have the big, scary gorillas come in and just take out the the uh, the sailors and uh, rescue them. Yeah. Heck, if they oh, had had, had a couple of horses uh, handy, they could <laughs> they could have pulled the full uh, uh, Planet of the Apes. But well, I, one of the things that we really didn't touch on during the movie, but that the movie touches on a lot is that one of Tarzan's strengths is his ability to mimic everything, not just voice wise, but physically as well. Right. Right. Cause we see him do things like swim like a hippo and he learns to swing from the monkeys. Uh, in the beginning of the movie, there's that, he causes that elephant stampede that almost kills the baby ape. And so here he acting with that knowledge gets the elephants to chase down Clayton's men. Right, so he's that's you know yeah, that's yeah, that's right. that's a Chekhov's gun example, right? So yeah, it is. It very much is. Yeah, and that, well, and it comes into play at the very very ending, right? When he's he has the gun pointed at Clayton's neck, and and you hear the gunshot, but he doesn't shoot, you know, because he says, "I'm not going to be a man like you." He actually just makes the the sound and breaks the gun. Yes. And I have to say, this is probably the only hanging I've ever seen in a Disney animated film. Not just hanging, but you can see the dead guy, too. I know. Mm-hmm. It's, oh, yeah. it's, very, uh, it's very sophisticated and mature. 
Yeah, well, like I said, that's one of the key things about this entire movie is just ev- everything is a step above where I feel that normally Disney relationships and characters are. Right. And that's not to say anything against it. It's just like they, they were trying to do something that they just – I don't feel they ever went back to. No. In fact, in, in, fact, in my mind, I feel like um, they are just now getting back to that point. Yep. I was going to say the same thing, Frozen, with that scene, with the attack Elsa scene. You don't think Singing Cows did it? No. <laughs> well, and like, like I would point to Ralph, where when Ralph wrecks Vanellope's car in Wreck-It Ralph. Like, that's a moment that's like that. But they, to what Todd's saying, like, they haven't quite gotten to a whole movie of it yet. You know, there's, there's pieces mm-hmm. of it, but it's, they're not quite there with a whole film of it. Right, like in um, Frozen with the Let It Go song, that is clearly what the Let It Go song is, is that entire summation yeah. of that, that type of emotion in a moment. But it doesn't, there are a lot of places where it's not in that movie, for example. But this movie is just pervasive. Right. No, you're, you're absolutely right. I, th- I think they will get there based on, based on like I said, Wreck-It Ralph and, and, and Frozen. I think, you know, it's coming. I think it, we will see it again. And, you know, hopefully it's as successful as Tarzan was. I don't know that it'll be as successful as Frozen was because what is? But, yeah. Yeah. It, it, isn't it amazing, to, to back up for a second before we finish off, is that, you know, you were saying this made four to fifty million dollars. This cost half as much as a, the other uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs product to make, right? Yeah, and, yep. and, and made more money, <laughs> like uh, like more than twice as much money as that made. So there you go. Which makes you wonder if that would have worked better as an animated film. It sure would have. <laughs> I have no yeah. question in my mind about that. It makes a better comic book than the movie did. So I am sure it does. It does. Although I think I think the film, that film, John Carter, I think could have been rescued. But I, I actually watched it again the other day. It was on TV, and I was like, you know, there's stuff here that that could have made a really good movie. Like I said, I think, when we when we did it, I didn't hate it. Yeah, I also I, I think, think it, it got, might be a generational thing. I want um, since, um because I loaned that that to my parents, and my 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 father loved that movie. I thought my thought my father thought that was a really good movie. So there you go. So it could be a generational thing. Maybe it wasn't meant for the younger generation. Movie it was meant for the people that remember John Carter. Yeah, could be. But yeah, so that that's the ending of of Clayton. But it's not the ending of the film. Um, the actual ending of the film is as you know the next day as Tarzan's walking the beach with uh with Jane and her dad they're getting ready to to leave they're trying to Tarzan saying you know I'm going to stay now I'm going to stay here because he's now the leader of the guerrilla troop that's something we didn't yeah. talk about yeah one one quick thing about when he takes over leadership it's very much a lion king moment because he's looking up into the sky like towards the sky and it's raining and he's assuming leadership after a family uh, father figure has died. Yeah. It's true. You're right. Succession in the animal kingdom. Yep. But so they, they end up the next day, you know, uh, walking the beach and it it finally actually comes to a point where uh, they are, 
you know, Tarzan's leaving to go. Jane and her father are in the boat headed back to the to the main boat. And they get to a point where they both jump overboard to, to follow and join him in the jungle, um, thereby setting up a very bad sequel. In the animated series. Yes. Yes. So, yeah. The end. Yes, indeed. Um, I had a question. So did anyone get into some of the uh, interesting theories about this movie? No. Uh. These are the, A lot of these are fan-based, but unfortunately, Chris Buck kind of sort of promoted one of them. Well, he's okay. a bit of a he's a bit of a uh, practical joker is, too. This isn't the one that ties it in with Frozen, is it? Yes. Okay. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I've heard about this. <laughs> yeah. So, so what happened is, is, is they did a subreddit, which for people who know about Reddit is what it is. The subreddit is when you set up a question and answer board with a with a uh, person or group of persons related to a specific thing that fans want to learn about. Okay. So uh, they asked on the on the on the subreddit. They asked um, what what the fa- the fans had developed this connection after seeing the um, the two Tangle characters in Frozen. They wanted to know what this c- fans came up with this crazy notion of there being a complete connection from Little Mermaid to Frozen to Tangled. Okay, which I don't really want to get into into it. But what happened was is in the subreddit they were asked about this connection, and Chris Buck wrote back he said about the parents from frozen he said they didn't die on the boat they got washed up from the shore in a jungle island they gave birth to a baby boy they built a treehouse and they get it then got eaten by a leopard (laughs) 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 so i thought that was funny there's also another fan theory that actually has more supportive elements to it when when fans put it together that say that jane porter is descended from bell but mostly it's based around the fact that their dresses look similar. I think and, also, okay. and also that uh, the sunken ship was found by a certain mermaid. Yes, correct. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's the whole thing. I also wanted to say, by the way, that you know certain, certain things that I learned about this, I didn't know... That one, that Tokyo Disney Sea had a Fantasmic, and two, that Tarzan and Jane are the characters that they use in their version of Fantasmic. Oh, cool! So I thought that was very like I really want to see that version of Fantasmic now. <laughs> Probably will never happen, but I really want to do it. And Tarzan's Treehouse, by the way, has one of the best views in all of Disneyland. Yes, it does. And we may be and pe- we may be seeing Clayton soon. We may be seeing what. Because remember, Brian, they're Brian having the village, village unleash the villains uh, unleashed. Yes, it depends on what villains they bring out. But yeah, he could be they, there. They can unleash over there. So well, that's a good point. Good point. All right, uh, let's rate this. Oh, actually, sorry, real quick, I have two quick notes. Sure. Yeah. Sorry. Go for it. Okay, um, my first note is that there's actually a running joke with uh, Trey Parker and Matt Stone, um, who wrote. Uh, South Park, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut, um, because Blame Canada, which is the big song from uh, from their movie, uh, was beat out at the Oscars uh, by Phil Collins for You'll Be In My Heart, and they've joked that they have a lifelong grudge with Phil, uh, with Phil Collins because of this. 
Um, and my other note is that the original workshop cast for Tarzan on Broadway actually included Matthew Morrison as Tarzan. Matthew Morrison's best known for Glee for playing uh, Will Schuster. Um, Adam Pascal as the storyteller, which I guess was a narrator character. Um, and he's best known for the original cast of Rent and also for the film uh, Rent. And Laura Bell Bundy as Jane, who was the original um, Elle Woods in Legally Blonde on Broadway. Oh, cool. So, so some interesting cast members in the workshop. None of them ended up making it to the Broadway cast when it opened, but they did some of the early readings. Good to know. All right, uh, let's rate it. Um, Rachel, why don't you go ahead and go first? Let's see. Um... I really want to give this a four. You know what? I'm going to give this a four, even though I have some issues with the movie tonally, the parts that we talked about before, kind of the moments that are thrown in for the kitties and for the merchandising. Um, but visually, this movie is just stunning, and the, the emotional moments just work so well, and they're so well thought out, especially the relationships uh, between Colin, Tarzan, and between Kerchak and, Karzan, and Tarzan. So... Um, I'm going to have to go with a four star on this. It's just a great movie. All right. Cheryl, what about you? I think I'm going to ditto that four. I really like this movie as well. I, I like the montage aspect of things. I really, I mean, I know it's a little bit overused. Yes, we've discussed that. But I really think it's a way to speed up the plot that you don't need to hear. Yeah. All right. Todd, what about you? Um, this is one of my favorite Disney movies. You know, it's not, it's not my absolute favorite, but it's, it's definitely higher in the bunch. Uh, for me, it's a solid four. I mean, it's got flaws. It's got some definite, you know, issues here and there, but it's so fun to watch. And I'm never bored watching it. Like, I've watched it like a million times, and I'm just never bored. So I really enjoy it. Fair enough. Yeah, I think I I would give it like a three and a half. I'm I'm a little lower on it than, than it's just because of um, some of the things we talked about. But I I do really really enjoy it. I I bought the the two disc special edition when it came out, and I probably will end up getting the Blu-ray as well. Um, it it is one that you can kind of sit down and go back to over and over again and see new things, especially in the visuals, like you were saying, Rachel. But uh, yeah, I'll give it a, a three and a half. Great. So that is our opinion of Tarzan. If you agree with this or disagree with this, uh, please let us know. Send us a note uh, at DisneyFilmProject@gmail.com, or you can find us on Facebook, Disney Film Project, or on Twitter, at DisFilmProject. And, of course, you can always leave a comment in the show notes on the website at DisneyFilmProject.com. All right, so uh, until next week, make sure you're listening in all the different ways. You've got us, you're listening now uh, in your podcast aggregator or iTunes or wherever it is. You can also uh, listen to the show on Diz Dad's radio or on Stitcher radio if you can't get access to your podcast feeds. Uh, and make sure that you uh, leave us a review and let other people know about the show. That would be great, and we would appreciate it very, very much. All right. So for Todd and Cheryl and Rachel, I'm Ryan, and we will see you again soon.
If I can teach a parrot to sing God Save the Queen, I can certainly teach this savage a thing or two. Even if you hadn't grown up a savage, you'd be lost. There are no trails through a woman's heart. Whoa, okay, it's all fun and games until someone loses an eye. No matter where I go, you will always be my mother.